So this morning we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and uh, we looked at the first part of Matthew 10 last week. We're going to finish off the chapter today. In this chapter, uh, you know, Jesus really gives us a message about what to expect, what to expect. And so uh, there's something about us as humans that want to know what's coming. Uh, whether you have a new job, you want to know what it's going to be like. Um, or whether maybe you're coming to a new church. So we're actually developing a new website right now. And one of the big parts of that website is, I'm new here. What should I expect? Because uh, people want to know what to expect uh, when they show up somewhere new. New school, new job. I remember when we moved to Covington, we spent a lot of time talking to the folks at North Lake Christian School. What should our kids expect when they show up here? What's it going to be like on their first day, their first week? It's an important thing, but nothing compares to this whole idea of expectation uh, that people have when they're about to have a baby, right? Uh, so in fact, we actually, if I were to say uh, we're expecting, you would immediately think, what? So no, that's not, that's not true, okay? That's a rumor. Um, but most people, say, when they say that word, know that it means you're expecting a child. So there's actually a book back when Sarah was expecting all five of our kids. It's called What to Expect When You're Expecting. How many of you have ever looked at this book? Show of hands. All right. Quite a few people. So this is an interesting book. I remember the first time we had a kid, I think we wore that book out, just trying to figure out what's going to happen, what's going to happen when this baby arrives. Here's what the Amazon, there's a little screenshot for you from Amazon. This is what Amazon says about this book. It calls it actually America's Pregnancy Bible to answer all your baby questions. It's like, that's a pretty bold claim, right? Uh, To be a pregnancy Bible. There's been 14.5 million copies of this in five editions that have been produced. All because people really want to know what to expect when they're expecting. Um, your pregnancy explained, filled with must-have information, practical advice, realistic insight, easy-to-use tips, lots of reassurance, uh, and the latest data on how to care for your prenatal uh, needs. Um, expecting multiples, there's a chapter for you. Expecting to become a dad, this book has you covered as well. In fact, that actually came out what to expect when your wife is expecting or something like that. Uh, and there's now a movie, an app, and a website. So this whole thing has become enormous, okay? Um, people want to know what to expect. So we come to our passage today, and Jesus tells his followers what to expect. Uh, last week he sent his followers out into the harvest and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. That's the first part of chapter 10. But in the second part, he tells them, here's what you should expect. And here's a newsflash. It's not going to be easy. And I can just imagine if this was a, a product description on Amazon, it would say something like this. Jesus the Messiah answers all your questions about proclaiming the good news, how to deal with certain danger, opposition from authorities, hostility and hatred from your family, jail, and even death. Learn how to be as wise as a servant, innocent as a dove, expect a tough road ahead. And you'd probably say, wait, what? Or at least the Amazon producers would be saying, hold on, let's, let's, uh, let's tone that down just a little bit. You're not going to get many five-star reviews on that product. Um, and so can you give us a little more user-friendly or pleasant sounding? Jesus tells us, I have a message for you this morning. What to expect when you're harvesting. What to expect when you are following Jesus. 
That's what he wants us to get from this passage. And I think as you see this, we'll see it's a challenging message. Uh, and, and what I want us to hear this morning is the words of our king as he sends us out into the harvest field. So if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. This is actually a pretty long passage. So we're going to read it in sections. If you have a worship guide or if you're watching online and, and can access the worship guide online, uh, we'll read it in four different sections. And the first section will be verses 16 through 25. It says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as servants and innocent serpents and innocent as doves beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles when they deliver you over do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak But the spirit of your father speaking through you brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next for truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 10. And then, as you'll see a little bit later, Jesus actually restates some of this in verses 34 through 36. So Jesus wants us to know this morning what to expect as we go out to share his good news. And the first thing is this. Jesus says, expect to be persecuted. Expect to face opposition. And it's interesting, a lot of times we'll look at this and and right away we jump to, well, when's this going to happen? When is this kind of stuff going to start happening? At least in this part of Matthew, Jesus doesn't give any attention to when it happens. All he is talking about is the certainty that it will happen to those who are following him and who are carrying out his mission. We get a little later in Matthew. Once we get to Matthew 24 and 25, he starts talking a little bit more about the signs of the times and when this is going to happen. But for this morning, the emphasis is on the certainty. Jesus says, if I'm sending you out, you're going to face difficult circumstances. And he wants us to know that. Let's look at uh, verse 16. This is kind of the intro to the whole thing. Verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is kind of the intro. This is the pep talk to his whole speech about getting ready. And so it's really interesting that Jesus would start out this way. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked back at, uh, I think it was in chapter 9, it says... Verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We talked about the fact that Jesus himself is the good shepherd. He's the shepherd that comes to lay down his life for the sheep. John 10 goes into that. Uh, He is the good shepherd who loves us beyond compare. So what does the good shepherd do? Matthew 10, 16, I'm going to send you out as sheep 
in the midst of wolves. You might say, that doesn't sound like something a good shepherd would do. Maybe a crazy shepherd. I mean, why would you send your sheep out into those animals that want to devour them and kill them and eat them? There's got to be a reason for this. And it's really interesting to me that we start off this section by Jesus describing it in this way. He says, you're like sheep. You're my sheep, but you're going out into a dangerous place. But remember who's sending them. It's the king, the good shepherd. He says, you're going out into a place of danger, but we know who's sending us out into that place. He's sending us out, not by accident, but on purpose. Then he says, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What does that mean? Again, this kind of summarizes the whole thing, I think. Jesus says, uh, be as wise as serpents. Be smart as you go out there. Be smart. Here's the other thing. I think when we hear that, a lot of times we kind of latch onto that phrase, be wise as a serpent. I'm going to be smart and I'll bite anybody who tries to get me. That's not what Jesus is going for here. Uh, I think both of these things, in reality, both serpents and doves are very quiet animals, aren't they? None of us like snakes, but he's saying be as wise as a serpent. What does a wise serpent do? Usually they kind of keep a low profile and you never see them. And innocent as doves, as you're going out, be pure, demonstrate purity, demonstrate what it looks like to have a life of innocence. So Jesus says, as you go out, you're going to be like sheep amongst the wolves. His next line isn't, so fight back just like you're a wolf. It's not what he says. He says, be wise as serpents, be smart about it, but be as innocent as doves. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But uh, it's interesting to see that that's the model that Jesus lays out for us. I think so often we think, oh, i got to fight back. That's not how Jesus starts this speech. Really, we call this whole part of Matthew 10 uh, uh, the missionary discourse, if you will. So in Matthew 5 through 7, we have the first big sermon of Jesus in the book of Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount. When we get to chapter 10, this is what we call the missionary sermon or the missionary discourse where Jesus says, I'm sending you out. And now we're in the part where he says, here's what to expect while you're going out. So he says, go out, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, but be aware of that danger that you're going into. What does he say? You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be opposed by different people. First of all, by religious leaders. Right? He says they're going to drag you into your into their synagogues. They're going to flog you uh, in front of the religious people. So the point to take away here is this. Religion oftentimes is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because religion as a system is not necessarily bad. But if it does away with the relationship, uh, then there's nothing left. It's just a ritual, a routine. And so religious people are going to persecute you, at least those who don't understand that true religion is having a relationship with Christ. True religion is not a bad thing. Jesus talks or uh, the apostle James talks about that, uh, what true religion looks like. But you're going to be persecuted by religious leaders who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We see this happening uh, after Jesus goes back to heaven. Read the book of Acts. The religious leaders of that time cannot stand uh, the followers of Christ because they're pulling people away from their system of religion. So that starts to happen. 
You're going to see opposition from political leaders. It says uh, in verse 18, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. So political leaders are going to oppose you. You're going to be persecuted by them. But the one that probably hurts the most is in verses 21 and 22. And that is your own family members. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. All right. These are hard words from Jesus, right? He says, hey, if you're going to follow me, you should expect to be persecuted. By religious leaders, that's a little surprising. By political leaders, uh, that's not exciting, but it's believable. But the hardest one, and this is the place, I think, where most persecution, I listened to one guy this week who said most religious persecution doesn't happen from governments, doesn't happen from religious authorities. It happens within people's own households. There's a story told of a, a, a woman who came to a missions hospital somewhere uh, in Africa. And she uh, was nurtured back to health and became a Christian. And she went home and started to tell her family about this. And her father began to beat her because he was a Muslim. Um, and the point that was made is that is the setting in which most religious persecution takes place in the world today. is from family members, from loved ones end of that story is he eventually actually becomes a christian stops beating her and becomes an evangelist in his own right but jesus says expect to be persecuted by these people flip with me to second timothy chapter 3 verse 1 uh so jesus is is saying that these things are going to be happening as 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 we go through human history and actually that whole phrase about family turning against family he's actually quoting micah chapter 7 verse 6 so he's looking back at that prediction that as the end draws near families will rise against families second timothy 3 verses 1 through 5 but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, whole, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, at least as you're following Christ. Those are the kind of the people that we pursue to share the gospel with. And so when Jesus says here in Matthew 10, expect to be persecuted, between now and the coming of Christ, we're going to face opposition. We're going to face persecution. But look at what he says in verse 18. You'll be handed over to governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them and for the Gentiles. Bear witness. So in the midst of this, in the midst of this, proclaim the good news. He says, learn dependence on me. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or how, what you are to say. For you know that you are, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It is not you who speak, but the spirit who speaks through you. So Jesus says, you've got to learn dependence on me to be able to be faithfully proclaiming that message, even in the midst of opposition, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of this learn dependence. So what Jesus says here is expect persecution, expect 
discomfort. Look at verses 24 through 26. A disciple is not above his teacher or a servant above his master. In other words, Jesus says, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. You shouldn't be surprised when you're opposed for loving Jesus. But here's the question for you. Why does Jesus want us to expect persecution and opposition? I mean, he just went out of his way here in a huge section of the sermon to say, you should expect that things are going to get hard. Why does he want us to expect that? Is he trying to punish us? What's he trying to do here? And I would say this, as you look at this whole passage, he's not telling you to expect persecution so that you'll go seek it out. All right. He's not saying, hey, go look for persecution and say, hey, persecute me. No, he says, be wise as a serpent. Be smart about the things you say, about the places you go. Not so we'll seek it out or pursue it. Also, not so we're going to fight against it, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, beware, this persecution is coming. So when it comes, fight back. That's not the message of this passage either. That's not why Jesus is telling us this. So why does he want us to expect it? And I believe that the answer is found in verse 22. The answer is this. He wants us to expect it so that we will be able to endure it when it does happen. To remain faithful. Verse 22. At the end it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you have faith in me, true faith, you're going to endure to the end. And I want you to endure no matter what comes. Don't think I've turned my back on you or God's turned his back on you. Endure to the end. Remain faithful. You know, opposition reminds us of our obligation to follow the one who's been true to us. Our obligation to stay true to the one who is true to us. And so when we think about this idea of what does it look like to stay faithful, you know, there's a lot of stories throughout church history about people who've stayed faithful to the very end. Uh, here's one you may have heard, maybe, maybe not. There's a guy named Polycarp. I think this was in the second century A.D., uh, Polycarp was actually thought to be a disciple of the Apostle John. So he was discipled by the Apostle John. And he was well thought of in his community. He was an old man who had loved many people. But he lived during a period of intense persecution. And so one day the proconsul, the governor of that area, uh, sent out and, and arrested two young men and tortured them until they told him where Polycarp was. So then they went and arrested Polycarp while he was asleep in his bed. Now, don't forget, this is actually common throughout church history. where It's really foreign to us because of the time we live in. But this has happened to believers at all places and all times. And so they brought him to the proconsul, and the proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. And on hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, to turn his back on Jesus. And he said, "'Have respect for your own old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar.'" Repent and say, down with the atheists. Do you know this? In the early church, people actually called Christians atheists. You know why? It's because they believed in one God. So in the time of the Roman Empire, they believed in, in dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of gods. And so the Christians were thought of as atheists because they don't believe in the gods. They just believe in this, this one God. In fact, it's a man. What's wrong with these people? They're atheists. And so the proconsul says to Polycarp, all you have to do is say, down with the, down with the atheists. 
Swear, urged the proconsul, reproach Christ and I will set you free. So he tells Polycarp, all you have to do is turn your back on Jesus. And then Polycarp said, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? See, Polycarp understood that he had an obligation to stay true to the one who was true to him. And he was faithful unto death. The story goes on to say they tied him to a stake to burn him, but the fire wouldn't kill him. So then they had to stab him to finish him off. Polycarp was faithful to the end. He endured great suffering and persecution. So when we look at this, why does Jesus want us to expect opposition and persecution? I think it's for that very reason. To remind us to stay faithful and to not be surprised when it happens. You know, there's a lot of examples we could go into of of what opposition and persecution looks like today and um, what I want us to understand, though, I think what Paul, what uh, Matthew, what Jesus is talking about right here is the people who try to stop you from directly sharing the gospel, sharing that people have a sinful life and they have need of a savior. Um, and anyone who can't stand that message, which, by the way, it's not a popular message, right? You can go out uh, and do all kinds of relief work like we do with Reach Global Crisis Response. You can do good deeds all day long. Thank you. Thank you for helping us clean up from the hurricane. But as soon as you start talking about the reason I do this is because I'm a sinner saved by grace, suddenly it's not quite as popular. So expect this persecution Endure to the end. Proclaim the, proclaim the truth as you experience opposition. But Jesus doesn't leave us there, just in a hopeless place where he says, hey, endure to the end. That's all I got for you. The next thing he says is, I want you to expect to be protected. Expect to be protected. And we see this in verses 26 through 33. So if you've got your Bible, follow along as I read these says this, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew ten twenty six through 33. So what Jesus is telling us, I think, in this section, the main point of this section is expect to be protected. Expect to be protected. He will be there. No matter what you're going through, Jesus says you're not alone. You're not alone in these verses. Uh, There's really two things I want you to notice. And the first one is this. Several times in that little section, did you catch what Jesus said repeatedly? He said, fear not. He said it at least three times. And here's the thing. Uh, Look at this picture right here. 
You can't read that because it's really small font. But I wanted the whole picture on one, one screen so you could see those red spots uh, where Jesus says, Fear not. Do not be afraid. Be not afraid. He tells us that no matter what you're going through, you don't have to be afraid because he will protect us. You know, Jesus knows that fear is real. He wouldn't talk about it if he didn't expect us to have some measure of fear. Um, he also said a little bit earlier, don't be anxious. Earlier in Matthew, he said, don't be anxious about anything. But Jesus knows that fear is real. But did you catch what he said in this passage? He says, be mindful of who you're afraid of. You don't need to be afraid of humans. Don't be afraid of humans. But rather, the fear of the Lord is what we're called to have. Fear not. And why not? Because Jesus says to you in this passage, he says, this is incredible. Jesus says, the worst thing that can happen to you is they kill you. And you're like, wait a minute, hold on. That sounds pretty bad. Like, I can't think of anything worse than that. And Jesus says, that's not the worst thing that could happen to you. Look at verse uh, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says there's something far worse than physical death that can happen to you. And that would be to be separated from God for eternity. He says, by the way, if you know me, if you're my follower, you don't have to be afraid of that. If you fear God, if you know him, that's the way of saying having faith in God. If you trust him, you don't have to be afraid of that. He's removed that penalty, that danger from your life. But again, this is not a message we hear often, is it, right? Don't be afraid. The worst they can do is kill you. That's not a popular message. We like to think Jesus comes to make our life comfortable, to make our life uh, easy. If you follow Jesus, your life's going to get easier. doesn't really sound like Jesus is promising that in this passage or in any of his teaching. Because he's saying the most important thing about you is that you know me as the king. You've trusted me to forgive your sins. And then go out and share that good news with others. It's going to cost you persecution. But in the midst of that persecution, you will be protected. So he says, have no fear of them. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. Um, I love that these, these, these verses because of the two things that Jesus kind of points out here. The first thing is fear not. Uh, but then the second thing that really comes through in this section is that he cares about each one of his children. He really cares about each one. First of all, he talks about the sparrows, right? He says, fear not, therefore, you are of much more value than sparrows. Jesus says he knows, God knows when one single bird falls to the ground. How much more does he know about you and every detail of your life? What about the details of your life? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I don't know about you. I have no clue how many hairs are on my head. All right. No clue. But God knows that not just of me, but of everyone in this room who knows him. He says the hairs of your head are numbered. He could tell you the exact number of hairs that you have on your head. Now, for one of our pastors, that's an easier count than others, right? Uh, but nonetheless, God knows the exact numbers of hairs in your head. What's the point there? He cares about you, and he knows every detail of your life. He's not going to let you be hurt or persecuted or injured 
or even killed without knowing about it. And he's going to be there with you. He says, you have no reason to be afraid because I'm with you and I have saved you. Flip with me to Psalm chapter 56. Psalm 56. Uh, This is a passage from the Old Testament that talks uh, in detail about fear. And there's actually a song out of this passage. Um, I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. But Psalm 56 verse 3 says this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? This is interesting. We don't have to be afraid because we put our trust in God. Now, if you know, if you take out a dollar bill or any piece of money, what does it say on there? It says, in God we trust. It's an ironic place to put it because oftentimes we're more fearful about money and we put our trust in money more than any other thing. But this passage, which is quoted on our money, it says, in God we trust. We shall not be afraid. Skip down to verse 9, the end of verse 9. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can mortal man do to me, some translations say. Well, they could do a lot. They can hurt you. They can injure you. They can make your life miserable. They can even kill you. But Scripture tells us, Old and New Testament, that's not what you have to be afraid of. Because if you know the Savior, you will be cared for for all eternity. In God we trust. What can man do to me? You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So remember this, brothers and sisters. In the midst of persecution, God will protect you. He'll protect you for all eternity. That doesn't necessarily mean you won't lose your life. But you know you won't lose your soul. Let's go on in the next section here. In verses 34 through 39, Jesus says one more thing. Another thing. He says, expect to sacrifice. Expect to sacrifice. Again, following Jesus is not a life of ease. This is not a message we always like to hear. But look at verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you know that last verse, verse 39, is actually the most repeated saying of Jesus? You could find that in multiple places throughout the Gospels. But what are we supposed to expect? Jesus says, expect to sacrifice. Expect to sacrifice. Meaning you have to give up things to go out and follow Jesus and proclaim this message. It's not something that happens without effort. Uh, even at the last part of verse of chapter 9, he says, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In other words, it's work to go out and reap this harvest. Because you know Jesus, expect to sacrifice. 
Some have said it this way. You can either spare your life or you can sacrifice your life. You can devote your life to selfishness or to sacrifice. What does it mean to sacrifice? Here's another example. So this is a story that I heard uh, through David Platt, actually. David Platt is the pastor at McLean Bible Church in, in uh, near Washington, D.C. Huge heart for missions. Huge heart for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I was listening to something he talked about recently. There's supposedly 7 billion people in the world. And at least two-thirds of them outright claim they don't believe in Jesus. And probably more than two-thirds. That's a lot of people. So he has this huge heart for, for unreached people. But he shared this story about Ann Judson. Does anybody know who Ann Judson is? You might have heard of her husband, Adoniram Judson. So when we think about this idea of sacrificing, what are you willing to give up? So Adoniram Judson was one of the first Baptist missionaries who took the message of Jesus uh, to Burma, uh, which is modern day, I think, Myanmar. And so he took uh, the gospel there, translated the Bible into their language. And to this day, there's actually a strong church presence in that part of the world. But before he left... He wrote a letter to his father-in-law. Some of you may have heard this. I'd never heard this till recently. He wrote a letter to his father-in-law and said, Hey, I want to ask for your daughter Anne's hand in marriage. But listen to what he says. He basically asks his father-in-law, his future father-in-law, to sacrifice. He says this, I have now to ask whether you consent, can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory. With a crown of righteousness. Brightened by the acclamations of praise. Which shall resound to her savior from heathens who have been saved through her means. From eternal woe and despair. Adoniram Judson actually asked his father-in-law, he said, can you give up all that? Are you willing to sacrifice all that? And his father-in-law said, yes. So they were soon after that married, and about a year later, they traveled to Burma, and she never came home. She never came home. She sacrificed her life in service of the kingdom and in service of sharing the gospel. Jesus asks us to make the ultimate sacrifice, but to gain the ultimate reward. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, Jesus, in verse 38, calls you to a life of sacrifice. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is another saying that gets repeated throughout the Gospels. What does it mean for you to take up your cross? Luke actually says, take up your cross daily and follow him. Cross is an instrument of torture and death. Basically sacrificing your life completely to die. 
Jesus tells us to do that daily. Now, clearly, that doesn't mean he wants you to die every day because we can only die once. But he wants you to die to yourself every day, to sacrifice your own desires, your own comfort, your own pleasure, so that you can share the gospel in the field that God has given you. Jesus calls you to a life of sacrifice. Now, I wonder what that cross looks like for you each day. What is it that he calls you to set aside? Is it your leisure time? Is it the food you have? Is it the possessions you have? It's probably a little different for each of us. But Jesus calls us and says, if you're going to follow me, you should expect to sacrifice. Not so that you will be saved, but because you've been saved. Sacrifice to share that message with others. So, so far in this passage, it's pretty heavy, right? Jesus is saying, expect hardship, possible death, imprisonment, rejection from your family, sacrifice whatever you can for the kingdom. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't end there. Fourth thing is, he says, expect to be welcomed by some. In other words, he ends on an optimistic note, acknowledging that not everyone's going to reject you. Many will. It's going to be uncomfortable. But Jesus says, you will be welcomed by some. Matthew 10, verse 40. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple... Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So Jesus tells us to expect to be welcomed by some. Not all of them will reject, and some will welcome you as the messenger of Christ. And what a joy it is when you see somebody who welcomes you and welcomes the message. If you've ever experienced that, it's incredible. If you ever get to lead someone to Christ, and I hope each of you does, you see a soul pass from death to life. For eternity. That's incredibly rewarding. And so Jesus says some will receive you and they will receive my message. And they'll be rewarded for that. Rewarded with eternal life. And you will be rewarded for sharing that message. Some will welcome the messenger. Meaning they will welcome the message. Which means they will welcome the king to come into their heart. And that's our ultimate goal is for people to welcome the king into their heart for all eternity. Now, if you look at this list of what Jesus tells us to expect, expect to be persecuted, expect to be protected, expect to sacrifice, expect to be welcomed, you notice one and two and four are all things that kind of happen to you, kind of out of your control. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be protected because God does that. You're going to be welcomed when God opens up the hearts for that to happen. But what's the one thing that he calls us to do throughout all this? I think it's that word sacrifice. He says, I'm calling you to give up something for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to sacrifice? So I think that's really the message today. Jesus says, here's what to expect when you're harvesting. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've already made this point. But if you pray that prayer, and Jesus tells us we have to pray that prayer, realize that you are part of the answer to that prayer. God wants to send you out as a laborer. And today, he tells you what to expect. And so as we close today, I would just ask you this. Are you willing to sacrifice in order to bring in the harvest? Like Adoniram Judson, like Polycarp, like fill in the blank with the thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands or millions of brothers and sisters who are dying even in this decade. Are you willing to sacrifice along with them to bring in this harvest of souls? Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to look at your word this morning. God, I thank you for what you call us to do. And Father, I pray that we would remain faithful as your followers. And God, that we would be faithful to go out and proclaim what you have done for us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.